Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are finishing up our submitted unit from listener Elliot, who asked us to cover books in which there is a play and the play comes to life or engulfs the characters in some way. And so the first two books we read were submitted by Elliot. Uh, Those were... King of Shadows by Susan Cooper and Inside the Worm by Robert something. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Robert Wendell, maybe? I don't know. We read that one first, so it was a long time ago. It was a while ago. It was years ago at this point. We weren't feels in a like pandemic it. at the time. It feels uh, like it. It was back when we had freedom and we took it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we set out on our own to pick one of these books. Yes. And, and I th- we certainly picked one. Yeah. No, I think we definitely, like, this fits... Right? Mm-hmm. This fits what we set out to do. For sure. And I really thought I was going to like it until uh-huh. the main character started <laughs> started talking about things she thought all the time. <laughs> like, all of her thoughts are just bad thoughts. This book is called Saving Hamlet by yes. Molly Booth. Yes. Um, and I guess we've got Anna's review right there. I mean, <laughs> else? there are parts of it. There are parts of it I enjoyed. Like, there was one scene I really liked in particular, um, which I do kind of talk about in the notes, but um, I'm sure you probably also know the one scene that was actually, like, emotionally touching in this book. And then everything else Nope, I, just... I oh, Okay, never mind then. <laughs> Maybe it was just me. <laughs> Uh, but everything else was just like, oh boy, oh boy, this is a Disney Hyperion book. Oh boy. Yes. Oh boy. I think the word that most sums up my experience with this book was befuddled. I just, Mm -hmm. I just don't know why the choices were made that were made. I think to be fair and to try to be, you know, fair and balanced, (laughs) We've never tried that. Why would you why would you put this front well, on now? <laughs> let's pretend. I think if I had read this book at the target demographic as like a, mm. a early high schooler and I wasn't reading it for the purpose of review. I wasn't reading it for a podcast where we vivisect books constantly. <laughs> I would be like, "Yeah, this was fun. This was a this was this was a book. I mm-hmm. enjoyed it. I'm not mad about it." Mm-hmm. But I, that's not how I read it. I read it now as a 28-year-old yes. and for a podcast where we talk shit. And not not that we intend to talk shit, but when you're reading something... We don't want to talk shit. That's we, why we, do. we always want to talk <laughs> shit. <laughs> but when you're reading something to like break it down over an hour plus on air, you're going to pay more attention to the details and like you're going to think, I guess... This a lot of them. Yeah. And you're going to try to try to pick it apart a little bit more. So that being said, I did not like this book. <laughs> <laughs> I this book re- I had a lot of potential. Yeah. There were some very cool ideas in it, but I just... Yes. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. I think here's what I most felt about this book. So we'll obviously get into this in a little bit with the plot, but yes. th- this is very similar to if you guys listened to the King of Shadows episode to that setup of putting on a play and going back in time to Shakespeare times. Except in this one, it's back and forth. The main character jumps time multiple times, going back between the two. So that hurts both times because you don't get to, like, 
get to know any of the characters in either time, so everything just seems really shallow, mm-hmm. number one. But number two, I felt reading the part that was in the present time, in like her high school and whatever, that it was like a companion book. That it was like the book the author wrote after writing a book about like Lulu Actual or Brandon or Josh or any of the main characters. <laughs> and like all, like all of her readers were like, oh, we just love Emma so much. We want a book about her. And then she went and wrote it. And it was like, oh, well, this was okay. It was but kind like, of like how we read that Anna Todd book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Way back when. <laughs> Where it felt like I should care about these characters and like. She just expects me to buy that everybody's super good friends and whatever. And I'm just like, I don't, I, I'm getting nothing. Mm. This feels like I should have read a different book that established all these character relationships. Yes, 100%. They, I just did not, I didn't buy the friendships, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I also did not buy any of the romantic tension because there was too much of it. The 18 romantic relationships in this novel. <sighs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting, uh, viewpoint I guess because it is Mm -hmm. from a stage manager who is it's not a viewpoint we get super often um in fiction and you know techies deserve their their day in the spotlight (laughs) well (laughs) (laughs) but like this was just (laughs) yeah it was it it was trying to do too much and ultimately didn't know what the fuck it was trying to accomplish Mm mm-hmm and there was also just this weird disconnect for me. And I didn't know. Like, I tried to check with Michael to see if mm-hmm. it was just, like, if I was just virtue signaling or if this was, like, really a thing that was weird in this book. But and he was like, I'm not the person to ask. I was like, okay, fair. But they they had, like, this, this LGBT representation and this very serious problem. Yep. Well, <laughs> it was there. They attempted and then the very, the very real, like, issue of coming out to parents who are not accepting. But then the main character is just, like, a teeny bit homophobic. <laughs> the, the <laughs> queer rep in this book it is just so, baffling. It was The main weird. character is homophobic. Yeah, this book came out in, what, 2017, 2016, or 2017? Not that yeah, long ago. Yeah, like And I just... I feel like some of the thoughts that the main character had, with there not being any growth. At first, I was like, okay, maybe maybe she's just, she's young. She's got immature thoughts that by the end of the book, she'll mature. No. And so I feel like it was a little bit, some of these just like casually thrown in lines were just a little bit irresponsible, right? Yes. And I think there's been like a lot of discourse recently in the queer community about like who should write, you know, like, WLW stories and MLM Mm -hmm. stories and like the representation disparities between the two and is it easier to to sell WLW stories um or you know because of fetishistic reasons and whatnot and whatever and I think with this book I in general I'm like people who are like oh writing WLW is way easier and you can get like Hmm. it's a cop-out I generally do not agree with that. Hmm. But in this book, I was like, okay, she kind of gets the WLW stuff right, but the male gay characters are so poorly treated. Like, uh, it's yeah. so ups- Like, it's like it's it's just, it's weird. It's, it's yes, weird. It was just weird 
tone to everything about sexuality in this book and why the main character was so invested in every person she met sexuality i was like shut up just shut up dude on the one hand i'm like maybe what she's going for is like representation and being like oh we can't just assume everyone's straight but what it came across is this bitch is so fucking judgy about every guy that she meets Mm -hmm. and is like oh he's gay because this oh he's gay because that it's like you don't you don't know you don't don't, just Stop. This is insanity. Well, and then she has like this moment too, where so there's like there's kind of like a gender bent, gender bent, um, Hamlet yeah, thing. There's going a couple gender bending things in this. And she's like, oh yeah, a female Hamlet. That's totally cool. But a dudeophilia, that's fucking bonkers. Like, why? Beyond <laughs> the queer rep, the feminist angle of this was also just so mind-boggling to me. I do not understand what the author was trying to prove. Like, I don't... Yes. It's so... Like, she keeps having characters call stuff out as sexist that that aren't sexist. And then, like... I Like, I, every, you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know what an uppity feminist bitch I am and how much I complain about stuff being sexist. The stuff the characters were complaining about being sexist, I'm like, it's not. It's not <laughs> that sexist. That isn't so. <laughs> it's not sexist for the director of a play to cast gender straight. That I mean, you certainly can do gender, Ben. That's fine. But, like, if they're, they want to cast to the gender as it's written, that's also fine. Yeah. And then, like, at one point... <laughs> At one point, the main character, and I'm sure we'll get into this. At the one point, the main character goes out to like a bar, essentially with a group of guys, and is just infuriated by their behavior of drinking and smoking and flirting at a bar. And I'm yes. like, and she calls it like, she's like, I can't believe they were behaving in such a sexist, piggish manner. I'm like, what are you talking about? Were they? Were, were what they they're at a out? bar after work? What is? What are you talking about? I read that scene three times to try to figure out what the fuck she was talking about. And I could not parse it. What was the issue? What are we doing? They were just having a good time with other people who were also having a good time. It wasn't like they were coming onto the women. It was the women who were coming onto them. And like everyone was consensual. It was fine. And one specific guy did a thing to the character that was shitty but it wasn't sexist. Like I don't understand. Like that has that that word means a thing. I don't understand, understand what we're doing. I think it's like really. There's this. I know we're like talking a lot up front about the the nitpicky stuff that we usually say for after we've made a few jokes. But like, there's this, there's a line in the book, and she says Lulu thought everything was sexist. She was a total feminist. I mean, I'm also a feminist. But I'm not that much of a feminist. Is basically what the what the author conti- or what the main character continues to say on the next page, and I'm like, that's that seems just like it feels a little telling there. Like, yes, that struck me too. And two I'm just different like, kinds of feminists. Like she's like that militant, every men all men suck kind of feminist. Where I'm like the good pretty kind. But then also <laughs> Emma's the one who did the bar thing and was like, that's sexist. I know. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> what are we doing? What's happening? It was like, again, generally when people get online and complain about like, oh, feminists are ruining everything. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. And you aren't listening to what they're saying. Right. But I don't know. Maybe they read this book and were like, 
I'm like, you know what? Then yep, her yep. complaint does have merit. It does seem like this particular feminist in this book is complaining about shit that doesn't that matter doesn't and matter. isn't sexist and I don't understand and is also behaving in very homophobic ways. So, like, whatever. I, sh- <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't just... You can't, I don't know. When you, you audition for a play... You can't just go in and be like, I'm the best. So so change your whole view of the play for me because I am the best. It doesn't matter what part I, I just, I want the lead role. I don't care what gender it is. Change it for me. Like, And I mean, like, I, I totally get the argument here of like having been in high school theater mm-hmm. that in general, Shakespeare does not have as big or as meaty of parts for women. Like if you go by the line count, there is not... Mm-hmm many plays that high schools are going to do in which the women get more lines than the men and that's shitty and there's also just generally more parts for men than there are for women because of you know the fact that they didn't have actresses in Shakespeare's day whatever but so like I get as like a high school kid being frustrated by that but like Ophelia is not a bad role Ophelia is not a bad role and you can't like there would be a difference between Lulu going to again this book was about Lulu not Emma yeah I don't know why we had to read about Emma Lulu was the better part of this book (laughs) but you can't if you have a problem with the fact that your school is not giving good parts to women the way to deal with that is not to just show up at the audition read for a guy's part and be mad when they cast you as a woman it's to like go talk to an adult who Mm. is in charge and be like hey why do we always do Shakespeare yes always yeah that seems shitty that's a valid complaint because we're all tired of Shakespeare. You can't, <laughs> you can't just show up at the audition and be like, I'm Hamlet now. <laughs> I've memorized all Hamlet's lines. Give it to me. <laughs> Deal with the director who is also a student. Yes. And therefore does not actually have much power or control over this. The amount of freedom these high school students are given in this book was also, Absolutely. as someone who has directed high school plays. Right. Like, what? <laughs> this is nonsense. This kid... <laughs> I knew it was going to be rough going in when Emma, the main character, is talking about how she bought new sneakers with the stipend she got from doing theater over the summer as the stage manager at a community theater. Mm-hmm. What? She's 14. <laughs> what Why is she doing? getting a stipend? Why is she? What? Okay. Whatever. And also, what sneakers are they talking about? I think they're just like... Like black Converse black- high tops? Yeah, like all black Converse. The all black ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. 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 <laughs> I just... Uh, who would you recommend this book for? <laughs> uh, We're 16 minutes in. Maybe Shakespeare. Maybe Shakespeare should read this one. The treatment of Shakespeare in this... I can't. We can't go. <laughs> I would say, again, I would recommend this if you are at the age range that it is recommended for mm-hmm. and you're just looking for a, like... You don't want to, you don't want to like deep dive into it. Yeah. If you're it's not setting out level. to pick it apart, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> try it out. I guess. I mean, people, if it someone at Disney Hyperion liked it enough, apparently, apparently. I mean, you know, it's no Percy Jackson, but sure, why not? Why not push that out of the same publishing house? Why not? Oh, man. All right. 
Let's talk about what actually happened in this book. So then our so then we can return to these complaints later <laughs> as they arise in the plot. <laughs> okay. So Emma is a sophomore in high school now who has signed up to be the assistant stage manager for the student-led production of Hamlet. Um I'm sorry, sidebar. Can we can we stop with people, high school students bonding over their love of Shakespeare? Please. What do you, where, okay. <laughs> Tweet at us if I'm wrong. Yeah. Who has ever met their best friend because they like both love Shakespeare so intensely? In high school. Too. In high school. Here was what I was going to say. As a former high school theater nerd, mm-hmm. number one, no one likes Shakespeare. <laughs> number two, the people who did like Shakespeare were the worst actors. Yes. The ones who are like carrying around the full complete works of Shakespeare. <laughs> I knew a kid who did this. He was trash. They he were was posers. Trash tier um, student actor. <laughs> trash tier student actor. He, like if you carry around the complete works of Shakespeare, you are posturing and you are probably bad at actually acting Shakespeare. From my experience. Again, tweet at us if we're wrong. Maybe in your high school, everyone fucking loves Shakespeare. But in my high school theater program, we all knew that the only reason we were stuck doing Shakespeare was because A, we could do it for free, and B, the English department really liked when we did it so they could make all their students go see it for extra credit. Mm. Like, that's why it was that and Chekhov, man. Like, that's what we had to do oh, every boy. year. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Those Chekhov plays, man. Why are the... I feel like every high school does Chekhov, too. And why are there no books about them doing Chekhov? Chekhov's play. The Seagull. That was the one I was... Oh, uh, you know, I don't think our high school did Chekhov plays. Really? No Chekhov. It's no. another freebie, so a lot of people and English departments get into it. I was, like, not super into the theater crowd in high school because I was in marching band. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but I got the sense that our theater director was of the ilk of like, still trying to be young and cool. Yes. All theater directors are like that. And so they chose a lot of just like contemporary comedies. (laughs) We didn't get to do contemporary comedies because we couldn't afford them. We saved up the money for the, the, um musicals for the rights for the musicals mm. at the end of the year that was where we do put all of our public money. domain plays yeah got to do the public domains for the the fall play and then the winter play that's only for inducted thespians and then the mm-hmm. spring musical i don't remember when our musical was because the spring we did one acts yeah that makes sense so maybe the musical was in the winter but i want to say it was in the fall because we had to have a lot of time to prepare for it. I don't fucking know. Someone that went to my high school, please tweet at me and tell me <laughs> when we did <laughs> the musicals because I don't fucking remember. Um, let's see. Okay. So she likes, she's she's doing this thing for Hamlet because everyone's got a bone for Hamlet at this school. And she gets a haircut. This is a very important thing that gets brought yes. up eight million times in this book. And oh was, God. you know, when we used to do the thing where, I, where we're like, when did we know that we hated this character? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back when we weren't such a positive podcast with yes. positive views. Um, I had one of those for this book. It was when she is going to get her haircut and she asks the hairdresser to cut her hair really short. And she does. And then, like, she gets all nervous and she thinks, this girl has purple hair. Why did I trust her? Because she has beautiful purple hair. I was like, why? This child is the worst. You wanted a haircut that would make you look like a fairy. Of course, like a, like a, um, sorry. You go to the woman that has purple hair because she's going to give you a fantastical haircut. 
Of course. Like, I'm sorry. But that was like the real description. She's like, I yes. want to look like a fairy. She's like, she she like pulls out a picture of a Ugh. model with like a bobbed haircut or something. And it's like this, but more like a fairy. So of course the hairdresser gives her a pixie cut because, because that, is that is what, it what is. she asked for. <laughs> like, I don't know what else you wanted. And it's not like, oh, I want to look like a fairy. So they dyed it a cool color. It's no, <laughs> it's just like a pixie cut. And then she's like, she's like this haircut after her initial like, concern and worry that this woman has messed up her hair she's like this haircut is the best haircut ever and i i'm (laughs) undergoing a life-changing experience by having my hair be short (sighs) and this is the first chapter this is like (laughs) our introduction to this character and it's also teased because this book like was having a lot of fun drawing out the drama here but she went through two traumatic events Yes. In her freshman year of high school. One, she used to be on the soccer team and was actually real super good at it, supposedly, and then quit because of a traumatic event that happened at Halloween. And two, she did a boo-boo in her summer theater production, I think. Or maybe it was the one from the spring. I don't remember. One of them. She did a big boo-boo and she's very embarrassed about it, but she's going to stick with theater because no one else will have her. Is basically (laughs) what she says. And this is also another point to this book being absolutely baffling because I, I understand. I I think this comes up a lot in YA where the author's like, there was a traumatic incident with a capital I. And both of these are capital I incidents Mm -hmm. in the book, like literally there's a traumatic incident in her past. And part of the story is going to be drawing out what it is. And then, that's going to be, like, part of the big resolution is, like, revealing the incident. Neither of these fucking mattered Neither of them mattered. They were revealed halfway through the book, so, like, all the tension that was building up was lost. It wasn't mm-hmm. early enough that it could have just been, like, an explanation that we can color the rest of the book with, but it was too early to be, like, the big reveal. And then also there were two of them. Why were there two of them? She, she was just really a huge fuck-up, and you needed to know that immediately. <laughs> You can't. You can't give your characters two capital I incidents that explain why they are so traumatized low these many months later. Yes. And one I can understand because you're new to theater. Your stage manager asked you to do them a super big favor and do it wrong. And that messed up the whole play. But then the other one, I was like, okay, some shitty things happened to you. But I feel like maybe your reaction... It was a little bit too much. See, I actually think I fall on the opposite side where I felt like the party thing was the better mm. incident and the the fog thing was stupid and dumb because it was like... <laughs> it was so unnecessary. It was so unnecessary. And also the way it was said, like it was explained was that she was told to go press the button to warm up the fog machine. And when she, she was like, which button? The stage manager was like, the red one. And she pressed the red button and it was the wrong red button and it blew everything up. It's like, well, that wasn't her fault. Yeah. So this is dumb. <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> but then the, the party one, I was like, well, yeah, I feel like, you know, if you go to a party and your friends pressure you to drink and you get a little bit too drunk and someone gets a little bit handsy, especially when you're 14, like, yeah, that would be a lot and would maybe make you want to not hang out with those friends anymore. I, yeah, I understand that part, but then her reaction, I guess, I don't know. Like I, when I read that part, when I read this reveal, it sounded to me that like she went to this party 
Mm-hmm. And she drank beers. No, no, she drank punch first. It was the orange punch that tasted like a melted popsicle. Yeah, but so she, she didn't know there was alcohol. She didn't in know there was alcohol in that. She did drink beers that she didn't know there were alcohol. There was alcohol in, and that's fine. Like I'm not victim blaming here. But then she, they took her down into the basement and were like, "Ooh, that boy wants to make out with you. Don't you want to make out with him?" And then she just stood there. And that, and then the, and then Josh was like, "Are you okay? Let me take you home." And then they took her home, and that was it. So like, yes, it's shitty to get a high school freshman drunk, like coercing them into drinking a sweet alcoholic beverage, and then being like, "We're gonna use our upperclassmen pressure, uh, upperclassmen privilege to pressure you into making out with this dude that you don't know and probably don't like." But also, like, at the end of the day, she was. Like, the shitty thing didn't happen in the way that her reaction made it seem like it did. Yeah, I... So I was like, that sucks. (laughs) I feel like maybe the author was like, oh, I'm going to have this deep, dark incident in her past. And Mm -hmm. then she was like, well, I don't want to write, like, a sexual assault book. I don't want to have to That's a whole thing. And I'm already (laughs) dealing with the Shakespeare time travel and also the homophobia. We haven't even gotten to the Shakespeare time travel travel. yet. Is the thing. We haven't gotten to any of the plot. Is the thing. We've been recording for half an hour. Is the thing. (laughs) This episode's gonna be a fucking mess, man. Oh my god. Um, so the fallout from that is she quits the soccer team the next day, right before like a big tournament or the end of the season or whatever. And because she was so super good, the team just like sucks and they lose all of their games for the rest of the year. I don't believe that one single freshman ruined a whole high school girl's soccer team season, but that is what happened. I think probably what actually happened was they were all fucking hung over. Yes, and so they <laughs> lost five games in a row. Well, at least that first one, and then they were like, they, they might as well keep like a, losing. No, like I'm saying, like they got it, they, shut up. Fuck <laughs> off. We got a taste for it now. Like it, they got it in their heads that like, yeah. oh, we can't do because this Emma's not the here. freshman. Yeah, I just. I can understand why those girls are pissed. Emma <laughs> <laughs> was the star. And she was the absolute star. Emma is the boot, as they call her. <laughs> her foot is a gift from the gods, as oh her father God. says. And I just, and it doesn't matter because she never goes back to soccer. But right. like, the whole thing is she's like traumatized by these soccer people. And then she just never confronts them and never goes back to soccer no. or anything. And she, in fact, takes their star boy player and brings him into theater. So I'm just like, okay. I keep bringing up, like, she, she, like, is going through her closet and comes across her cleats and is like, oh, it had been so long I since I'd this. worn my cleats. But I looked at them and I felt an, a familiar aching and how I longed for the field. And it's like, okay, but that doesn't get resolved. She doesn't go back to soccer. Why are we bringing up how much she loves soccer? Exactly. I don't understand. Oh, my God. So back to the actual. So again, we have. I still have two and a half pages of notes. (laughs) Brandon is the senior in charge of directing this version of Hamlet. And also he is Emma's major crush. And he informs her on the first day of school that their former stage manager mysteriously moved to Australia with her family. And so now Emma has to step up and be the actual in-charge stage manager, not just the assistant. 
So she's freaking out about that a little bit. Um, but her best friend Lulu is auditioning for the role of Hamlet, which we've talked about. Uh, Lulu is currently going through a bad time, capital B, capital T, because she recently came out to her parents on accident because they saw her kissing her girlfriend after a play and they are grade A assholes and have decided to punch, punish Lulu because she is an abomination in their words. Yep. And cool. Yeah. That part God. sucks. Um, this book, like why? Why? The, <clears throat> again, this is, if this had been a companion book to a book about Lulu and Lulu's trauma and Lulu trying to been, deal with that the fact a that her book. parents hate her and whatever, like that would have been a thing. But as it is, this really only exists for Emma to be the savior to the poor gay girl mm-hmm. who's so sad. Like who is is so sad and angry at the world that when they get into the fight that they have, Emma is just like, why won't she just fucking apologize to me and or accept my apology and let us be friends again? I'm like, girl, she is going through some stuff. (laughs) But Lulu and Emma are newish best friends. And Lulu also has another best friend that that she's known forever named Stanley, who is the stage designer for the play. And Emma is often jealous of Stanley and Lulu's relationship because they've known each other longer. And I'm sorry, girl, that's just how it is. You got to get over it. Also, I hated Stanley and Lulu's constant Mama. use of pet names for Emma. Mama. It was terrible. What, what is that nickname, Mama? I think it's more like, like, it's not like Mama. It's like, oh, come on, Mama. Like I that sort that, of. Mama, you yeah. are and so then hot. She, Stanley always calls her Mama, and Lulu always calls her Babe. And I'm just like, do neither of you know her name? And is Emma calls her Sweetie. Here? I did not care oh, about yeah. names in this. It was a lot. It was mm-hmm. a lot. Because you only say Sweetie when you're being condescending to someone. Sweetie, there's only five minutes left till curtain. <laughs> like, that's how you say it. Not, Sweetie, there's only five minutes left till curtain. Hope you're ready for your big debut. <laughs> I call, okay, so like at work where I am supposed to know everyone's names, but I don't. Um, I default to like pet names for everybody. Okay. So if I call people hun or honey, that's like fine. That's normal. Mm-hmm. If I call people babe, that means they're being a fucking hey, asshole. We've all and seen that I... episode of The Office. Mm. <laughs> and if I call someone sweetie or sweetheart, that means that I want to kill them. Yes. And also they're very stupid. <laughs> very true. So yeah, the use of babe and sweetie between two best friends. I'm just like, I don't. It seems very passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. But well, Emma's very confused about what passive aggressiveness is. Yes. <laughs> that one line. She's like, this is the most passive aggressive text I've ever received. I'm yes, like, I laughed what? aloud. The text message is so <laughs> in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the book, Emma does eventually go on a coffee excursion with Brandon. I'm not going to say a date because I think Emma was just reading too much into it. Um, She goes on a coffee excursion with Brandon. And as she's out, Lulu sends her a text message saying, hope you're having a good time on your date. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, the passive aggressiveness in this text is, I've never experienced this before. (laughs) Girl. Oh my God. It made me laugh. Mama. Mama, <laughs> chill, chill, Mama. Do you think maybe Stanley just misheard someone saying Emma and, and thought that Mama. her name was Mama? Perhaps. Um, <laughs> they do auditions. Brandon decides to cast Lulu as Ophelia, which has her extremely angry. 
because she already has all of Hamlet's lines memorized and everything. And Brandon instead casts Josh Jackson. The Joshua Jackson. <laughs> I just kept picturing him. I kept picturing him as Joshua Jackson. I don't know if it was intentional. Yeah, what era of Josh Jackson though? Because Well, I know him mostly from Fringe because I did I wasn't yes. a Dawson's Creek girl, so Fringe is my main exposure to Mr. Jackson. Wow, so like brooding adult yeah. Josh Jackson as yes. opposed to crybaby Pacey. Yes. Fully adult Joshua <laughs> Jackson in this. Being like, oh, I just don't know how I can memorize all these lines for Hamlet. I'm so da- I'm so mad at my dad because he's so smart and also has al- Alzheimer's or whatever. And also there's aliens. Did you know? <laughs> anyway, he... Josh is the star varsity goalie, I guess, for the so- boy soccer team, and he's never acted before, but he's given the lead role in Hamlet, a play that Brandon has decided they are not going to cut anything from, and the runtime is about five hours. We talked about like how stupid it was that Lulu got upset about not being Hamlet, mm-hmm. but what also was stupid was how all of the other cast members, who presumably tried out for Hamlet and didn't get it. We're not apparently pissed off about Josh getting the part. <laughs> that is true. Everyone else was cool with it. Everyone else is like, it's fine. Josh That's is fine. so dreamy. Oh, he's just so good. He's at- so good at being a cute guy. <laughs> being cute, but with pimples. Yep. <laughs> but oh. Josh is the one that was super nice to Emma during the traumatic Halloween soccer team incident. And... So Lulu's mad at the world because her parents are assholes and Brandon is sexist, I guess. Apparently. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of drama and angst here, which eventually culminates in Lulu telling Emma that if she were a better friend, she would not be in love with Brandon and she would snub Josh. Uh, But Emma's like, whatever, you'll be a better Ophelia than you would be a Hamlet. And Lulu's like, (gasps) how dare you? months <laughs> oh that's fine <laughs> whatever guys we haven't even gotten to the time we haven't gotten yet. to the time the time traveling was so late in this book though i was like come on where are we i'm 20 percent away into this book <laughs> rehearsals are going poorly because lulu is not invested josh sucks at acting and brandon is literally the worst student director in the entire world like <laughs> Uh, but also, Stanley gets this idea to just randomly cut a hole in their high school stage <laughs> because he wants to make a trapdoor for when Ophelia dies at the end of Hamlet. And he feels like it is so unfair that he is punished for this vandalism of school property. I cannot okay. stand okay, it. Okay, 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 okay. When I was a sophomore... <laughs> our third night of our play of the three nights got completely canceled and like three people got kicked out of the drama club entirely and like got uh i can't remember if they got suspended or just attentions but like we're that was the level of punishment for them going through an unlocked door that led to the roof of the school and hanging hanging out on the roof like oh my god the fact that this baby Cuts a hole. A, a whole ass hole. A whole hole in the stage. 
and nothing of consequence happens Be- to him. I wonder if he like- loses the key to the theater. It is in the text stated there is a ten foot drop between the stage and the pit below it. How how are you gonna build a mechanism, <laughs> Stanley? Are you going to build, like, a hydraulic lift to go up and down so people can safely fall into this trap? Were you just going to put a bunch of pillows down there? Like, what was your plan, Stanley? You just Stanley straight has up, no plans. He just acts. You just straight up sawed a giant rectangle out of your high school's play. The arts are unfunded as they are, Stanley. We cannot waste money on you just sawing holes. I legit was not allowed to do, like... You're not even allowed to have snacks on stage. You can have, like, right. I was like, I, water. I, I wasn't allowed to do, like, a tap number for a thing because they were too worried about my tap shoes fucking up the stage. Oh, my God. Like, there is no way <laughs> this kid should have been expelled. Yes. He should be banned from all theater. <laughs> Don't just go in and, like... What if that has happened in this episode? What if someone was like, I don't like that the school ends here. I'm going to make a door and I'm just going to saw through this wall so I can exit the school here. What do you think would happen to that person? What? It was so confusing to me how this school was treating the theater department because I was like, Oh, is this like a performing arts school? <laughs> no. No, it's not. It's not. And nobody else in the school cares about theater. They only care about soccer. So like these children should not have the leeway that they are given to do these shenanigans. It's this amazing. So like. Gretchen wasn't even there. They didn't no. even have a teacher supervising any of the rehearsals. Like they had to update her on how it was going. And she was surprised every time. I think the situation with Gretchen was that she is struggling on that teacher's salary. So she is having to pick up jobs, you I know, teaching that. children yes. how to do theater and whatnot. So she's like She's lying. got her side hustle. Yeah, she's like lying to like the superintendent. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm totally every, doing every the theater. Totally, I'm taking care of it. And then she's just like dipping to go do her side jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably also why why Stanley didn't get expelled because she was like, shit, I got shit, I was supposed stuff. to be here. I have <laughs> I to act like this is here. my idea. <laughs> not supposed to allow these children access to power tools oh but it's okay because the fact that he cut this hole in the floor is how emma accidentally time travels to shakespeare so it's all good whatever i can't even get into how stupid of a conceit this is so so essentially emma is alone in the auditorium one day after rehearsal and she's crying about all her one friend hates her and she doesn't have a boyfriend and so she begins to read through hamlet and she gets, like, super into reading it and blocking it out, I guess, that she doesn't really watch where she's going. And she just falls into the fucking hole in the stage that no one thought to barricade properly. Because Gretchen was like, Emma, go get a piece of cardboard and put it over the hole. That was all they did, knowing full well it is a 10-foot drop to the basement underneath. She, now, Anna, Emma wrote a note. That is fair. I believe, if I read that correctly, 
on the cardboard. Uh-huh, so yep. someone would have to come stand on the cardboard to read it. This is a whole do not fall through. So she had, didn't even write it very big because she had to fit all that on there first of all. This is like some Looney Tunes bullshit. They didn't even put chairs around it or no. cones or anything. No <laughs> caution tape. It's just a piece of cardboard that's probably the same color as the floor. Yes, if anything, <laughs> putting the cardboard on it makes it, makes it more work. likely for someone to fall into. <laughs> like putting leaves over a trap to catch a tiger. <laughs> this is some Looney Tunes time travel shit going on. It's awful. <laughs> Oh, but she falls through the hole. And she's like, I don't want to die. But she doesn't die. <laughs> she time travels. And she ends up backstage at the Globe Theater in Shakespeare time while they're doing a production of Hamlet. And, you know, she's just, she's immediately pulled into being the assistant bookkeeper, which is like ye old English for assistant stage manager. And <laughs> no one seems to find it weird that this person appeared out of nowhere wearing very strange clothing and shoes speaking with an American accent and using strange modern language. It's just whatever. No, they, do, they do find it odd. They think she's from the country. Yes, they, they think she's from a country and in the country in her denim and black hoodie. It's just how they dress outside of <laughs> London town. Oh my god. And they and they think she's a boy because her hair is short and so she tells them her name is M and they're like, oh, short for Emmanuel, whatever. So she does help out with the play. And she also meets Cook, who is the boy who plays Ophelia, who Emma automatically assumes is gay because he is a guy in a dress, even though she just acknowledged that men played all the parts on the stage in Shakespeare. Her thought process on this, she's like, he must be gay. Then he flirts with her and she's like, oh, he's not really flirting with me because he's gay. And it's like, girl, what? And then she's like, oh, he must have realized I'm a woman because he flirted with me. I'm like, okay, okay. This is a little okay. big leap to make, even though it was if, the correct assessment. Right, it was, which is why I lay some blame at the feet of the author and not yes. just the character. But if you think he's gay and he flirts with you and you are dressed as a boy, why would your immediate assumption be that he knows out I'm a girl? <laughs> What are we doing? Oh, my God. Why would you not be like, man, I sure am doing a great job of looking like a boy. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't. And then she asks him, she's like, how did you know I was a girl? And he's like, I got horny when I looked at you. And she's like, is he gay? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> is this book and this could have been there's so many directions this could have gone where it could have been like oh he is gay and thought she was a boy or oh he's bisexual or something I don't know we there's a lot of things we could have done with this where it would have made it less weird Mm. that her immediate assumption was he's gay because Because he he seemed to be enjoying the dress he was wearing (laughs) right like (laughs) I can't. I can't. And then she's like, man, it must have been so hard to be gay in the 1600s. So it's like setting up this thing of like maybe exploring that of being like, oh, well, you know, yeah, it was really hard because like there's different terminology and like it's not really gay isn't really a thing in the way that it is now. But like having an attraction to men would have been very difficult. And like maybe there would have been like social like it could have gone that way. But it's just like 
It just doesn't. It's like, oh no, he's just straight. Yeah, <laughs> and I and just there... weirdly assumed he was gay. But there's a there's a point later on in the book too where they like go out and they she's like they have their arms wrapped around each other and they're yes. holding hands and stuff. And Emma's internal monologue is, "Boy, I wonder if everyone thinks we're gay right now." <laughs> it, a lot of this felt like the straight girl. <laughs> Who's just like, this is going to sound so mean. A lot of this felt like the straight girl who's very uninteresting and so makes friends with like a lot of gay people to make herself seem more interesting. There's a term for that I don't want to say on the podcast. Yeah, I don't like that term. But that kind of vibe of like... Yes, yes. I was like, girl, why are you so... Why do you why want are you so these obsessed guys- with it? Yeah, why do you want these guys to be gay? Like, what's the deal? I don't... It was so weird and so weirdly handled and the fact that he wasn't was gay jarring. and then it, it, yeah and it's like it, it kept bringing up gay issues but not like yes. being willing to actually deal with them well and here's the other the other thing where like i felt like you said i felt like this was a side view story of mm-hmm. a, a larger more interesting work she also she learns later on that brandon is gay Mm-hmm. And no one thought to tell her that the entire time she was crushing on him. It's fine. Whatever. It's it's not their secret to tell, I guess. But he reveals that he casted Josh as Hamlet because he had a crush on Josh. And so then Emma's like, is Josh gay? And, like, she walks in on them. There's a moment where she walks in and, like, Brandon is – they're in the changing room, the dressing room, and Brandon is, like, shirtless, I think, or in the – like they're changing their costumes and Brandon's like leaning over Josh's arm on the wall you know that sexy pose and is like leaning in for what looks like a kiss and Brandon and Josh spend a lot of alone time together after that but and then she's like wow I never realized my gaydar was so bad Uh, I guess Josh is gay now too but then she and Josh end up together at the end of the book and nothing is ever like comes of that yes I personally read that whole interaction with Josh and Brandon as super predatory. Yes, me which, too. Which is why I was like, why is no one talking about this? Right. And it made me very uncomfortable that the two gay characters in this book are Stanley, who is a huge stereotype, mm-hmm. just top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon, who seems to, the only way he expresses his gayness is in a predatory manner. Mm-hmm. And no one calls him out. Like, that's She's just like, oops, up. I saw something awkward. Never all speak of it. Yeah, and I thought that it was going to be, like, I didn't want it to go this way either because it would be gross too. But, mm-hmm. like, I thought it was going to be like she was going to have to rescue Josh from Brandon the way that he rescued Josh her. rescued her. You know, something dumb like that. But, like, it was just, like, kind of there but never really engaged with again yeah yeah that scene happens and then josh and brandon like get rides home with each other yeah but so there like keeps so being are like, they a thing or there keeps being this thing where like brandon's like oh hey you need to ride home right josh and josh will be like uh, uh i guess yeah, and I then guess. like and then lulu will be, like, will be like i'll go with you yeah or like i i think there's a point where like uh em, emma doesn't want to go or doesn't go with and josh is like oh you're not coming with like it seems like he's worried about being alone with brandon yes like, i agree so i felt weird. very concerned for josh in the second well last like quarter of this book i guess but it's all subtextual like it's never brought yeah like the the resolution is brandon just being like oh yeah i had a thing for josh also and that's I why suck i cast everything. him yeah 
It's like, okay, well, this is like, there's a huge issue of like a power dynamic here where. Yeah, we need to talk about this. You can't just throw it in and then ignore it. Like, that's not. If you see something, say something, Emma. Yes. Please. You can't. If, if, if this was not, I feel like, I feel like what the author was going for was like, oh, Brandon's just so, you know, love struck and he's making bad decisions because of it. Mm-hmm. But if you switched Josh's gender, if mm-hmm. Josh was a girl and Brandon cast a random girl who like hadn't auditioned before as the lead and then was like constantly trying to be alone with them and like trying to get them rides home and like trying to make them like come hang out with them to work on the work on their lines. Like everyone would be like, this is fucked this up. This is not good. Yeah. But we don't do that in this book. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's just a funny quirk of Brandon that he is that he a predator. To, <laughs> he likes to uh, just pressure people sexually. Yeah. So the queer representation in this book, if you're keeping track, is one stereotype, one predator. One bad stereotype to some people. And then Lulu, who is the tragic bisexual character. Yes. Yes. Who who can only be saved by Emma. Of course. Essentially. Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. It's big yikes. So, anyway. Emma's a Shakespeare type. <laughs> she helps out with the play, and then everyone's like, "All right, see you tomorrow." And she pieces out. It goes back to normal time via the same way she entered, and realizes that no time has passed in the present. But Emma keeps like she keeps popping back into Shakespeare time because it's kind of a cool thing, I guess she can do. She just time travels. That's it. She doesn't. She doesn't like freak out about it. She's not like, "Whoa, this is, should be impossible. What is going on?" She's just like. Anyway, on Friday, I went back to London. <laughs> so, But her time in Shakespeare land helps her become more assertive, I guess, as a stage manager. Because in Shakespeare's times, they had more responsibility than they do today. And so she starts to like bring a lot of good ideas to the table about how the play should be run. Which Brandon feels all salty about because he's the director. And he's like, this is not your place, girl. Um, and then... <laughs> Emma also like she starts to become disenchanted by Brandon because he sucks at a director and also because he like he invited her out on this coffee excursion but Emma thinks it's a date until she realizes that Brandon only invited her out to talk to her about controlling Lulu who I guess Lulu is just she's like not responding at all to anything in rehearsal she's just kind of like throwing her lines out there basically just phoning it in and he's like, can you get this girl under control? And Emma and Lulu are not even currently speaking. And so Emma just like ups and leaves him, doesn't give any explanation. She just like walks out. Which I know I did just call Brandon a predator. But in this instance, hashtag Brandon did nothing wrong. Because what else was he supposed to do? Like if yeah. he cast this girl as the best part for a girl in this production. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing gender bent casting. So he gave her the best part he could have. She's whining and complaining and not doing what she's supposed to do. So he goes and talks to his friend, colleague, whatever, who's like his right hand person. Who's also a leader. Yeah. Who's also a leader in this group to say, hey, could you maybe go address this and like deal with it? And figure out what's happening. Yeah. Me dealing with it isn't working. Like what else was he supposed to do about this? Like he's a shit director. Sure. But like Mm -hmm. this was not a bad move on his part. Yeah. And it's just like how dare he 
try to use me to get to Lulu because Lulu has been so wronged by not being cast as Hamlet. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Exhausting. Oh, um, Emma has also been helping Josh learn his lines and how to act, and they become super close, which Lulu also takes great offense to because she is aiding the enemy, I guess. Um, and there's lots of angst and stuff about being lonely and whatever unnecessary drama yeah so and i was trying to think like back to my high school days uh-huh. in theater and whatever and like it was very dramatic everybody was making out with everybody backstage like that was always a thing but mm-hmm. it wasn't like this type of drama where everyone was like i should have been cast as the lead like no one i don't think anyone ever did that ex- unless they were like a really shit actor who yeah. like shouldn't have been cast as anything you know i feel a lot of times too it, well maybe not with the student-led Shakespeare plays but like a lot of the times the plays are picked based on the talent already oh for sure there so like everybody knows what role everybody's gonna get essentially there's also like always the thing of like okay it's a school production we're gonna give better parts to seniors and juniors because this is their last couple years like you know you you understand that sort of stuff like Mm -hmm. I I don't remember there being drama over the production it was Mm -hmm. always drama about like who wanted to make out with who? That yeah. was, yeah. you know? Which I guess <laughs> the there's a little bit of, of that in here. But most of the drama is like, how dare he not cast me as this? How dare she not work so hard on this? Pro-? Like, no one was doing that. This yeah. is, it was weird. Um, things in Shakespeare land kind of come to a head. When Cook and the rest of the Chamberlain's men convince Emma to go out drinking with them one night. And things supposedly get out of hand at the pub. <laughs> And, like, a tavern wench comes over and kisses Emma on the lips. And Emma's all pissed because it's her first kiss. And she, like, gives it a lot more meaning than it needs. Because, A, it was just a quick kiss on the lips. And, B, like, can we just stop with the firsts? Like, just stop. (laughs) I think the main reason that she's pissed about it is because she feels like Cook egged it on. Yes. It was very similar to her Halloween trauma. Right. But But then it's like, like she's pissed. I think, and I think that's the thing about the sexism thing. It's like, she's, she's like, all of these men are terrible for allowing this to happen. It's like, they don't, number one, they don't know you're a girl. Yeah. They, yeah. Number two, like, again, with the weird queer rep, like it's kind of not, I I wouldn't bring this up if there wasn't so much other stuff in this book Mm -hmm. that was like weird in terms of queer rep, but it's kind of annoying that it's like, her big traumatic first kiss was with a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she already had the incident in the past where it's like, if you wanted to give her a- She stood there while someone asked if she wanted to kiss someone. Right. But if you wanted to give her a big traumatic first kiss, you could have done it there with a dude, and it would have had essentially the same effect, but instead it's like, part of why she's so mad is the fact that it's a woman. And it's like- Mm -hmm. And not even what? a cute woman. It's like a gross, poor yeah. woman. A pure. <laughs> Why is she allowed to brush her lips against mine? Like, this peasant I, trash. I would be upset too if I was 14 and like out somewhere and one of my friends egged on somebody else to kiss me when I didn't want to kiss people. But mm-hmm. like, it, yeah, again, it's just an overreaction. And like, Emma's full of them. <laughs> yeah. The reasons she's mad, I'm just like, I don't. That's not, you keep yeah. calling this sexist, and I don't understand what you're talking <laughs> Part about. Part of it is sexist. <laughs> um, and she runs away from Cook, 
all pissy. And she's like, I'm quitting time traveling forever. So <laughs> she does. She doesn't go back for a very long time. Uh, and sometime in all of this stuff, Lulu and Emma make up because Lulu's parents finally kick her out of the house. And so she ends up on Emma's doorstep. And I thought this to me was like the most interesting part of the book. And the part that I thought was good because they do have this moment where like Lulu is expressing how she feels like she's not enough and that she's a monster. And like her parents have kind of tricked her into thinking all these things about herself. And Emma and Stanley are like hugging on her and being like, you're always going to be enough for us. And we love you no matter what you are or do or whatever. Um, I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, it would have resonated with me more if I didn't hate Emma so much at this point. Whose point of view? (laughs) Like, where I felt like her whole thing of, like, oh, you matter so much to us, and so it's okay that your parents hate you. It's like, well, no, that doesn't fix it. Yeah, no, that part still sucks. (laughs) She's still a minor. And she still has nowhere to live. (laughs) And they're like, oh, well, your brother, your older brother said you could live with their uncle over the summer in New York City or, you know, and I'm just like, but like, I don't know. She's not like her her parents are still her parents. They can. Yeah. And it was it was weird to me that the conclusion of this wasn't she moves in with Emma's family. Right. Right. Because they left it kind of open ended, too. They were like oh, well, like, her uncle said she could come move in with New York and, and New York, and, like, Emma's like, oh, gosh, it's going to be so sad if she moves to another state. But, like, it doesn't say if she has decided to do that. It doesn't yeah. say if she's, like, trying to figure out something else. And, like, the obvious solution would be because we keep seeing, like, Emma's family being all happy and supportive and whatever mm-hmm. for them to be, like, stay you with can us stay with us. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I guess if her parents don't agree to it, then that's not gonna work anyway but it wasn't even brought up yeah yeah i mean she's staying there temporarily but yeah like you said there's no i don't know whatever it's fine it was it it felt very much like just a chance for emma to be the hero the hero to this poor poor bisexual deviant who had been kicked out by her parents and it was Mm -hmm. again if we had gotten lulu's story if this was a companion book to lulu's story i would have been okay with it but it's that's it's not, not the situation. This is the like, full and complete. This story. is the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Emma also convinces Lulu and Josh to get along. I guess he's just like, "Hey, sorry, I'm Hamlet. You're a better actor." And Lulu's like, "I love you now. You're so you're my best friend. Thank you're you so for funny. complimenting me." So things Ugh. progress until Hell Week, which is the week where like the techies run through all their cues and stuff, and rehearsals go on for forever. Um, but late one night, it's just Stanley and Emma in the auditorium. <laughs> And Cook just like pops his head out of the trap door. And he's like, "LOL, I figured out how to time travel. Cool. Let's 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 play." Again, this would have been a great book from Cook's point of view. Yes. Uh, he's also like, "Hey, I need you to come back to London with me because that old bookkeeper that you became quite close with is dead now, and Shakespeare's trying to impress his wife with Hamlet." <laughs> So, I kind of thought that this was the scene you were referring to when you said that there was, like, one scene you kind of Oh, liked. yeah. No, was, I didn't give a shit about that. Right. Like, her, which is why I was like, no. Um, but, like, her relationship with the old bookkeeper, I was like, okay, this is kind of, oh, I guess. Oh, yeah, that was a little sweet. But then it was ruined by all of this Shakespeare. Like, everybody being like, we have to. Shakespeare's family. He cares so much about them. I'm like, but, but he I... didn't. He only cared about his wife because specifically in the book, his kids run up and hug him and he like ignores them and pushes them to the side and then makes out with his wife. Like, 
And I what? also did not care about Shakespeare's family. So true. Or Shakespeare in this book at all. He gets like three lines. Who cares about Shakespeare in this book? He might as well be dead. I don't know if I would have enjoyed having to take the King of Shadows version. Oh, I become... love that weird sexual tension. Let's go back to that. Instead no, but think of about if it was the weird sexual tension with Shakespeare and Emma. Oh, what about Wick and Emma, though? <laughs> Ew. No, it's gross. But I hate it. Again, just the whole, like, King of Shadows did this somewhat, too, where there's just this, like, mythos of like the genius high school theater person Mm -hmm. where they are just so good at their job and so talented and i'm like they're not they're in high school also 14 years old so emma and stanley go back in time together and stanley is super chill and accepting of this turn of events and he's even got his phone out and he's taking pictures of everything and emma's like don't do that and he's like why and Emma's like i don't know it bothers me don't do it which again, nothing really comes of that. He Except uses he makes a prop. <laughs> he makes a prop. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, Emma makes Hamlet a good play, and then they all peace out back to the future. But this time, Cook comes along for the ride and just like hangs out in the future for a week or so. I don't know. Everyone's like, "This is normal. <laughs> this is fine." The day of the play arrives. Brandon, the director, is nowhere to be found, and Josh is- has a bad case of the nerves. So he's in the bathroom throwing up. And Emma's like, the show must go on. So, guess who gets to play Hamlet? It's Lulu. Lulu gets to play Hamlet, finally. And she's like, hey, Shakespeare boy, come play Ophelia. And they just do the play in their street clothes because the costumes were butt. (laughs) This is also stupid because (laughs) you know what every high school theater production has a lot of? High Understudies. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> High school students? This, you, where are you going this, with this? <laughs> this play has no understudies. No, it's like they could only find enough people to fill the roles and everyone else was like, yo, Brandon's the worst. I'm not, I'm not here for this. Maybe that's what I just, like, that was always the thing that you gave to the people who kind of sucked, right? You gave yes, them the, the, the understudy. courtier number one and Hamlet's understudy, you know? Yes. And I mean, that includes myself because the way that I got to be a lead in Macbeth was because I was the fucking understudy for the witch and she had to drop out of the play a week before. Sucks to suck. Um, so, you know, no shade to understudies, but it's definitely like you hand them out to the freshmen who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. Where are all the freshmen who don't know what the fuck they're doing? Uh, they happening? are actually in charge of this play, unfortunately. <laughs> the play that is over five hours long, like... Can you imagine? Can you imagine bringing that? Because you have to okay this with the school administration. Like, I would be like, no, because I don't want to sit through it. Cut it down. Right? Cut it down to th- three. Even three hours is too long for a high school play. It should be like an hour and a half tops. I mean, yes, <laughs> ideally. But they usually are about three hours with intermission. Yeah. And that's too much. But, you know, we all suffer through it because we're all related to the cast. That's how <laughs> high school plays work. Oh. But, like... If I was at, if I, if I had birthed a child and watched that child grow to almost adulthood and had cared for that child and mm. had nurtured that child and, you know, was, my whole heart was in that child and they put on a fucking play that was five and a half hours oh my long, God, I don't I give left. a shit, I would be out. I would be out after two and a half. But the trick here is that they left the house lights on the whole play. The whole so play they could for their, see. For their, yeah, so they could. So they no could one see. could leave because you would see. 
<laughs> if Aunt Millicent gets up to go to the bathroom, you know, she's getting a text from Johnny two hours later, like, why the fuck did you leave my play in the middle? <laughs> I saw you, bitch. While he's on stage. Like, why did you? I mean, they're it? all in street clothes, so. Yeah, so why not? Um, anyway, the play is fine. The play happens. Josh gets over his nerves and he comes back to do later showings. Um, and Brandon is like, I'm bad at theater and I got into Stanford so I can major in computer science. And that's why I couldn't be here because I was freaked out and I drove my car until <laughs> it could drive no more. Um, sorry, I flaked. And that's the end of Brandon. And then <laughs> Cook eventually goes back into the trapdoor and was like, okay, I'll see you in a couple days. But then like the trapdoor magic doesn't work anymore. So she never sees any of them again. And then Josh and Emma hook up at the rap party. The end. I want to bring up a bit of a chunk of a quote that's from the last proper chapter of this book. Mm-hmm. Not the epilogue. The, which the is rap party hooks- doesn't count. Yeah. The, she's at the, in the epilogue, she hooks up with Josh. But the last part of this book, before the epilogue, is Cook and her kiss a bit. And this is how the chapter ends. I searched in my heart again. It was so full, I couldn't sort through it. Two Hamlets, as in the play, three Hamlets, two Ophelias, Lulu, Josh, Brandon, Stanley, Gretchen, Burbage, Shakespeare, his wife, his daughters, his son, Wick. What does all of this mean? What does all of this struggle have to do with theater? I could feel my brain beginning to shut down. I tried to fight it with one last question. What does it all have to do with Hamlet? I wasn't sure. But under the singing stars, I kissed him for about three minutes straight. That is such a perfect encapsulation of this book. I'm not sure what any of it has to do with anything. I don't know why I did this. But there's going to be kissing. I don't know what the point was. (laughs) Did we learn anything? May chance. Oh, my God. But we sure had a lot of Hamlet. We learned about how the usage of you and thou in the old English. There was also a line in this that got repeated a couple times where Stanley, like, says something like, they're like, well, we got to wait until Hamlet's over. And Stanley's like, oh, Hamlet is never over. And then, like, Emma repeats that later. She's like, oh, Hamlet is never over. I'm like, why are you guys saying this? Like, this is a common colloquialism. You can't escape the Hamlet. Hamlet Hamlet never dies. Hamlet's always with us. What are you, what is this, what is this obsession with Hamlet? Not I a don't day goes understand. by where I don't think of Hamlet. <laughs> I think of Hamlet and I laugh. Oh, how I laugh at all of the Hamlets who came before and all of the Hamlets who will come again and all of the Hamlets that have never been and will never be. <laughs> like, what are to we To be doing? or not to be, that is the question. <laughs> and it, it really gets into the whole Shakespeare deification that is part of this book and also uh, I just where does that stereotype come from that all theater kids just go around saying Shakespeare quotes all the time like it's normal I don't know who started that and why (laughs) stop it I don't know if anyone and I mean I guess this author but for the most part I don't know if people who have like actually studied plays and who have studied English literature and who are like this obsessed with Shakespeare. Like, I feel like Shakespeare that... scholars and probably like, I, I don't know, the guy who's been an usher at a theater for forever. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, like, and here's the thing. I know that we kind of talk a lot of shit about Shakespeare. I don't dislike Shakespeare plays. I have seen, like, I've yeah, been in Shakespeare plays. I like Shakespeare plays. I'm I like sick of it. Adaptations of Shakespeare plays. I think they're, you know, great. And if done well, enjoyable to a modern audience. Kenneth but, like, Brenna's much ado about anything. And then that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, first off, it's much ado about nothing. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> um, what did I say? Much ado about anything. <laughs> But yes, that is the only one. Uh, Keanu Reeves. I like the, the David Tennant version of Much Ado About Anything. Fuck no. <laughs> <I can't>. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Vindication. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Maybe you didn't even say it the first time. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the recording and see if you actually said it or if it was just in my head. I probably did say it. I don't know. I always have much to do about anything. That sounds like something I would say. <laughs> anyway, I anyway. don't understand why everybody's so obsessed with Shakespeare. I don't get he's it. fine. It, he's yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Great. Cool. The other thing that bothers me about both this book and King of Shadows is the way that Shakespeare is deified by people around Shakespeare. Like mm. I don't think and I mean, I don't know. I wasn't I didn't fall through a trapdoor and go visit Shakespeare times. I could be wrong about this. But like everyone's like I try now. The master Shakespeare is so wonderful and great and perfect and we have to put on this play to appease his family cuz they're sad about the dead son and whatever. <laughs> and it's just like I don't know. I feel like more people would be more annoyed with him. Like yeah, people would like, be more like Shakespeare, Jesus. oh my god, your play there are other plays Shakespeare. <laughs> There, this play is five hours long, Willie. What are we doing? <laughs> well, that's it for this genre, I think. Genre wrap-up. Yeah. Um, I think it is a genre that I enjoy. But I think... Interesting. I don't enjoy books about it. I like okay. it when it's represented in like a TV show episode or a movie sure. more than I like it in... Um, a book form because to me I just I don't like it when parts of different media get included as part of a book's text like I don't like it when they're like here's here now it's formatted like a play or here's song lyrics or a poem or whatever I don't like that <laughs> that's just me that's a silly reason to not like it like now that you've said all that I'm kind of thinking about it because I do like it when it's part of a, a yeah I, well TV like I'm show. thinking even like the other offshoot of it, like or you know, like the Buffy episode where they're mm-hmm. all singing all of a sudden. Yeah, I love that kind of shit. I that's like kind I of think, like in this realm. I think that's kind of like a bigger, like maybe this is a subgenre of kind of the metatextual. Yeah, media, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. I think that's what I like. So yeah, I agree with that. Like I like metatextual stuff, and I've definitely liked books that are similar to this in terms of like, oh, it's about. Uh, being trapped in a video game or oh it's about mm-hmm. being like a book coming to life or mm-hmm. that sort of thing where it's very metatextual where there is a work within the work but I agree that for some reason just the in general the play thing doesn't translate as well I think to well I maybe think it's because we've mostly done Shakespeare maybe maybe because I was going to say I think the most successful of the three that we've read the one that I liked the most was Inside the Worm mm-hmm. which was a made like, up play yeah, a made-up play. So maybe part of it is just all of the Shakespeareness of it. Because I've read other books where, where they're putting on a musical or something, and I've enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but we very much appreciate the submission. It was yeah. it was fun to do because it was one that we 
we wouldn't have chosen otherwise and we were a little bit unsure going into it what to expect but yeah. I, i'll probably I like have that. to go read masquerade by terry pratchett just oh to see God, yes i'll read it too one. let me know when you read it and i'll read it too to refresh my yeah. memory because i haven't read okay. it in years but it's it's so good and we can talk about a book not for the purpose of a podcast. Yes. And it wouldn't be funny anyway because we'd just be going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, in the part where, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. But talking about books. Yes. You got any recommended reading this week? Um, My recommended reading for this week is – no, I don't have one. I was trying to Great. stall. I forgot. <laughs> I My mind, like, totally blanked today. Oh, my God. Oh, I feel bad. Michael's like – do you ever prepare for this segment? So I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I forget them somehow every week consistently. <laughs> uh, so you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, my pick for this week is another YA book that actually just came out called The Henna Wars by Adiba Jagadar. So it's about this girl who her class is doing this competition to uh, like see who can create the the – most successful or like best business plan like it's like a a prepping for um graduation sort of like can you come up with a business that would work in the real world sort Mm -hmm. of thing so she comes up with this idea to do henna as her business and in the meantime she's dealing with all these issues because she just recently came out to her parents and they're not being very supportive and she's also developing feelings for this new girl at school but the new girl at school is cousins with this girl who's really mean to the main character. And the two of them set up a rival henna business. And it, oh, no. all, it is all very dramatic and very good. Oh. And like probably one of my favorite YA books that I've read in the last like year or so. And it deals actually with a lot of the issues that we talked about today in terms of representation. But it's not shitty. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that one to my list. It's really good. I really, really liked it. Oh. I have a book. You do? It is only very loosely connected to this. Perfect. <laughs> it's a good one, though, so read Go it for regardless. It. It's called Deep Secret by Diana Wynne-Jones. Oh, Diana Wynne-Jones. Yes. Diana Wynne-Jones could do no wrong. Second, I guess could do no wrong. Bummer. Yeah. Also, uh. I haven't read all of her books in some time, so I don't know. Maybe there's some stuff in there, but... There could be. Um... But Deep Secret is about uh, Rupert, who is a magid, and they basically just, like, oversee everything that goes on. (laughs) (laughs) And he, um, his mentor dies, so he has to find a replacement uh, to fill that position. And they have to, like, pick people who, um, I don't know, there's, like, some certain criteria they all have to meet. I can't exactly remember what it is. But his idea is to, like, because of all the other, like, weird things that go on at conventions, he's like, I'm just going to interview them all at a sci-fi convention. And that can kind of excuse any of, like, the weird magical things that these people may see. And um, I don't know. It just – it has it kind of has a lot to do with, like, running things behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and the female lead is how she's often overlooked. Um <laughs> But You're making those connections. Annoying. You're making those connections. Yep. But she's not annoying <laughs> is the thing. <laughs> Man, it's been a while since I've read that one. That I might need to go on my too. list of reading. What if we just read it? What if we just turn this into a Diana Wynne Jones podcast? Ooh. New summer project. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do Chronicles of Christomancy. 
Oh yes. Oh man, those are so good. Hey, there's a Shakespeare one in that. There's a there's a um, one of the Chronicles of Crestomancy books is is based on like Romeo and Juliet or something. Oh shit. Or, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the one like, I recommend. The fourth too. one. If you haven't read any <laughs> Diana Wynne Jones. You should. She you wrote should. a lot of YA fantasy before YA fantasy was a genre mm-hmm. in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But she made good stuff. It was Hell's it's... Moving Castle, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. God, yep. Dark Lord was... or Dirkholm, which I'm pretty sure we've oh, talked about here before. We've talked about it. And the sequel, Year of the Griffin, which I actually like a little bit better than the first one. Oh, but... I don't remember Year of the Griffin. Is that the one oh. where they It's the are... one where they all go to school. It okay. very much itched that like Harry Potter Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's like the the kids go to school and there's like five different kids from like different countries and they all have like different issues and like there's like assassins and stuff sent for one. It's great. It's so oh, funny. it's so much fun. I love Diana Wynne Jones. Anyway, join us next week for our Diana Wynne Jones yeah, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> on the podcast that we are now only talking about Diana Wynne Jones books. <laughs> um, no, actually next week we are talking about another Animorphs book. Uh, which will be Animorphs. I gotta check this because I think there might be is it number eighteen. And then we're reading a Megamorphs. Ask. Yes, I think the second yes. one is the Megamorphs. Okay, so Animorphs number eighteen, the decision. Is that right? That's what's on yeah. the calendar. Got it. <laughs> You're the on decision. a roll. <laughs> um, and then the week after that, we're starting our new, our next unit from Anna. Oh yes. Um. So I don't know if how many of uh, how many people, period, at all, listened to our other podcast that we had for a year where we talked about um, Christmas rom-coms and we watched one once a week and, and whatever. But one thing we discovered about me in that podcast was mm-hmm. I hate this trope where a common person falls in love with a royal <laughs> and therefore themselves becomes like a king or a queen or prince mm-hmm. or princess. A lot of reasons why... <laughs> But mostly because I feel like it is so, and we'll we'll talk about this more, I guess, uh, yeah. in the next episode. But I just I feel like it's just so unrealistic. You cannot you cannot expect this average person to come in and suddenly be able to rule a kingdom. Whatever, I hate it. But that's our next unit is stories in which, and it's like I'm a little bit more lenient when it's when it's other levels of mm-hmm. nobility, but really just like. I don't know. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. Anyway, the book. <laughs> I have to talk about the book we're reading for it, right? Yes. The book we're reading for it. Um, The reason I was thinking about this recently is because I was looking at a list of books on Goodreads of like um, old five-star reads and things, thinking about going back and rereading stuff. And I came across this book and I was like, that's weird that I liked this so much because it does kind of do that trope that I hate where someone who is very unknowledgeable about courtly procedures and things goes on to then ascend into that. Um, but then I realized, I think this book kind of ruined it for me because I liked it so much. (laughs) So like, I can't, I can't read anything else without comparing it to this one. So we're doing this unit a little bit differently because we're starting with the book that I definitely liked and I'm hoping that M can use this information and find me another book I can also like in this genre because it does make me feel a little bit of an elitist to not like this trope. <laughs> I hate it. Um, so that book is, it's actually, it's a bind up of two books, but it goes under one title now and it's Crown Duel by Sherwood Smith. In general, I do not have Anna's hangups about 
uh, interclass relationships. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this one is a like little. It. It's it's a little bit like. I mean, they're both. She is a noble, but she's like one of those nobles that has no money and is, doesn't okay. follow any of the procedure. So she like runs around barefoot and shit, and everyone's like, "Ew, you're a noble. What are you doing?" And she's like, "Pish posh," but she doesn't say that because she's not sophisticated. So. Anyway. All right. So that's going to be two weeks from now. Yes. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us about anything relating to your Shakespeare adventures, um, or if you have anything you would like us to read, a unit to explore, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. And we are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. Otherwise, we'll push you through a trap door. We'll send you to Shakespeare times. (laughs) I mean, we won't care if there's a Shakespeare there or not. We're just going to push you through the trap door. (laughs) We will first saw it in the floor of your theater. In your home. (laughs) We don't have time to wait for you to enter a high school theater. We're going to come to your house, saw a hole in the floor, and push you through. (laughs) All that being said, if you'd like to leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes podcast thing, you definitely should. Or you can talk about us anywhere on the internet that you would like. In the words of Molly Horton Booth, Josh had changed out of his steampunk Hamlet garb and was sporting his normal preppy clothes. Soccer season was over now, so no more goalie shirts. He looked nice. But did he look gay nice? (laughs) What is this book? Why is it? Why? They're 14. They're well, she's maybe 15 by now. I fell over. Uh-oh. I have too many so wires. passionate about this. <laughs> too many wires and I caught one. Okay. I think we're good. Sorry if the sound quality is different. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man.